Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. New York will allow voters to request a mail-in ballot for the November elections. Governor Andrew Cuomo has signed bills into law that, among other things, allow all eligible voters to cite the COVID-19 pandemic as a reason to vote absentee. More now from the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt. Voters can begin requesting absentee ballots right away from their local boards of elections, citing the reason that they fear risks of contracting the coronavirus or any other contagious illness. It greatly expands the prior very limited reasons that were permitted to obtain an absentee ballot. The bills signed by Cuomo also allow ballots postmarked by Election Day, November 3rd, to be eligible to be counted as long as elections officials receive them by November 10th. Government watchdogs praised the action. In a statement, Susan Lerner, the executive director of Common Cause New York, said the critical reforms will enable state and local election boards to plan and execute the most consequential election this century. Jennifer Wilson, with the League of Women Voters, says her group has been deluged with inquiries about how to vote by mail in the November contest. Now she can offer concrete answers. We're thrilled that he signed them. I hate to say it's long overdue, but they have been sitting on his desk for a while, and we are very happy that we can finally give people a straight answer when they call the office and ask about absentee voting, because up until this point, we've been telling them to hold on to their applications until he signs the bill. So now you can finally put that application in the mail and be ready to vote for November. Wilson says people should request an absentee ballot now if they don't have one already. They can get the forms from local Board of Elections offices. Some, but not all counties, allow those requests to be made over the phone or by email. The League of Women Voters can also help voters obtain them. But Wilson says voters should not be concerned if they don't get their ballots right away. The actual layout of the ballots won't be certified until September 9th, so they won't be ready to be mailed out until after that date. Don't be nervous if you haven't got your ballot and it's early September because they really don't send them out until closer to like late September, early October. Due to the changes, it's estimated that the volume of mail-in ballots could be 10 times higher than in past elections. At a recent legislative hearing on the June primary elections, State Board of Elections Commissioner Peter Kaczynski expressed concern about the board's capabilities to handle the sudden surge. It puts a tremendous burden on the system, one which was really never intended to support. The bills signed by the governor do not provide for any additional funding for the boards of elections. The state is facing an over $14 billion deficit. There are also concerns over the slowdown in mail deliveries after the removal of mailboxes and mail sorting machines by President Donald Trump's appointee as Postmaster General Louis DeJoy. And the Postal Service has written letters to states warning there might be delays in handling the expected volume of mail-in ballots. One of the measures signed will allow ballots to be counted even if they are not properly postmarked as long as they get to the boards of elections offices by November 4th. 
Cuomo has talked about creating additional ballot drop boxes that would be collected directly by elections officials and circumvent the postal system, and some lawmakers have proposed legislation to do so, but the bills do not provide for any additional drop-off sites. Wilson, with the League of Women Voters, says ballots can be hand-delivered to any local Board of Elections office. Ballots can also be given directly to poll workers at the voters' designated early voting site and at their regular polling place on Election Day. Regular state law is that you can drop off your ballot if you want to at a poll site. You'll just have to hand it over to one of the election workers there. Early voting begins October 24th and runs through November 1st. At various sites, they can be located on local Board of Elections websites. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette Political Observer Alan Shartok. Alan, the state of New York early on had to deal with the coronavirus pandemic. The governor showed himself to be really good in a crisis, and he received due popularity because of that. The issue now, of course, is that more and more New York is somewhat boxed in as a result of the growing cases across the country. We keep adding states to the list that need to quarantine. Meanwhile, we continue to see problems in cities across the state that are suffering economically. The rise in gun violence and shootings, even in Albany, where we see it up 240 percent, and That's other major problems that are happening as a result of, well, I guess mainly right now waiting for that federal money and how we're going to get out of this mess statewide, stateside. Well, as you know, David, I've been very fortunate that the governor has allowed me to talk to him this week alone was two times for a half an hour. This was exclusive to WAMC. A lot of what he said was picked up by major media, including the Washington Post and others, because what he was saying is, look, we all made mistakes, but we all learned as a result of that. Should I have put out a mask order earlier? Yes, I should have. Now, it's an interesting tack to take, which is I can say that looking back, we've made some mistakes but I can also basically brag that we did better than anybody else. And that is true. He deserves a lot of credit. The American people gave him a lot of credit because every morning when Trump was on in the afternoon, there was the governor of New York talking facts and figures and stability. Now he's willing to look back and to say, okay, look, based on what we know now, we could have done different things then. But basically, this was a federal problem, and the president of the United States failed us miserably because he should have set the standards. We did what we had to do in New York, but this was something that the CDC and the president should have been doing, and they weren't. I have immense respect for that position to be able to say, okay, looking back, we could have done some things differently, but we still did pretty well. Well, the governor had his moment at the Democratic National Convention this week. It was a brief moment. In fact, he might have spent a bit more time talking about the moment with reporters before, <laughs> including you, before he actually delivered the speech. It was a good one, and it was to the point that the president, as you just noted, had bungled the coronavirus response, and it was just a sign that his leadership was unacceptable. Well, the president, for his part, certainly came out swinging at Cuomo. Hmm 
there's been sort of a detente, but he had terrible things to say about Cuomo. But of course, you know, we all know who this president is, and we all know that he can't control his instincts when it comes to anybody who dares to criticize him. Uh, so he comes out. But by now, the tweets and the lamentations and all the rest of it mean nothing because he's a guy who's done it indiscriminately. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York State government and politics, I'm David Gustina. New York's two U.S. senators were in Troy this week pushing for public support for the Postal Service. The Democrats are calling for swift approval of emergency pandemic relief funding as the House prepared to bar the USPS from cutting services. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas reports. Democratic Senators Kirsten Gillibrand and Chuck Schumer stood outside the Broadway post office in Troy, arguing that the capital region would be one of the hardest-hit areas in the country if action is not taken soon to reverse recently ordered service cutbacks. Schumer says that with 1,500 local jobs, the capital region is a postal hub. He tied the issue to the next round of coronavirus relief funding. The distribution center here employs close to a thousand people and distributes the mail not just for the capital region, for the mid-Hudson and the North Country as well. Schumer says a proposal on the table would offer $10 billion in funding to the post office this year and another $15 billion in future years. Schumer criticized Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, saying COVID-19 has pushed more Americans to use the mail for things like receiving prescriptions and shopping online because they can't go to stores. It was clear when I met with him that his desire was to dismantle the post office brick by brick. He didn't seem to give a hoot for the workers or the millions and hundreds of millions of Americans who need the mail. He adds small businesses are relying on the Postal Service to deliver supplies so they can keep operating. Schumer is calling for all election ballots to be treated as first-class mail and says the postmaster should appear before the House Oversight Committee. If Mr. DeJoy does not show up at the hearing... He should be stamped, returned to sender, and be forced to step down. DeJoy reportedly has agreed to attend the hearing and testify. Here's Gillibrand. What's most concerning is that it seems highly possible that this is being done solely for political reasons. President Trump has continued to spread conspiracy theories about vote by mail, and over the weekend, he admitted that he doesn't want to fund the post office because it would lead to expanded vote-by-mail. Gillibrand used the occasion to reiterate her call to allow post offices to offer banking services to the public. Capital Region Congressman Paul Tonko, also a Democrat, tells WAMC with the election approaching, the pandemic has rendered the post office more vital than ever. I think we need to be on the highest alert 
to make certain that there are enough eyes watching this process, that it be as clean as a whistle, because the fundamental strength, the most nonviolent tool we have for justice in this country is our right to vote. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. Governor Andrew Cuomo has tasked cities across the state with reforming their police tactics in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd. The city of Albany held its first meeting this week under the Policing, Reform, and Reinvention Collaborative in accordance with the state directive from the governor to, quote, reimagine police departments. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard reports. On a Zoom call streamed on Facebook, Democratic Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan made brief remarks at the beginning of the city's first meeting of the collaborative. But this is not an easy task. It requires difficult and for some uncomfortable conversations. So tonight and next Tuesday, we are going to invest our time creating a shared understanding of who we are. The collaborative has more than three dozen members and is tasked with gathering input that will be used to compile a report on improving police community relations due by April 2021 at the risk of losing state funding. The task force includes city and county officials, leaders from community organizations, business owners, and others. City Police Chief Eric Hawkins also provided brief introductory remarks. On behalf of the police department, I look forward to working through this collaborative effort with one of the goals being to ensure that the service delivery model of the police department is consistent with community expectations. The bulk of Tuesday night's meeting involved collaborative members participating in an exercise moderated by Ebwo King, Director of Intercultural Student Engagement at the University at Albany, and Amberly Carter, Coordinator at UAlbany's Multicultural Resource Center. King and Carter began by explaining the ins and outs of debate versus discussion. And so in a debate, there's an assumption that there's one right answer and that you have it. Right. And in a dialogue, you're assuming that many people have pieces of the answer. Not everybody has the one correct answer. In a debate, it's combative, right? Participants attempt to prove the other side wrong. In a dialogue, you're collaborative and participants work together towards understanding. Participants were split into six groups and were told to come up with skits, three groups to put together a mock debate, the other three a discussion. The topic for the exercise was not police community relations, but universal health care. After about 10 minutes of preparation, it was time for the groups to perform their skits. The debates went first. The debates were charged with participants talking over each other. King interjected a few times to encourage participants to use nonverbal language as they acted out their skits. Debriefs were held after each one. The discussions began similar to the debates at first, but also underwent a large shift in tone and the kind of language used. And give them access to health care since we're going to be paying for that medical attention anyway. That's a really good point that I didn't think of, Michael. I know Jamila earlier, we had a conversation about that. King explained the purpose of the exercise and how it will relate to future community discussions by the collaborative. We live in a, in a world, in a country where the culture is very much centered on the debate. Very much centered on overcoming 
um, an issue that you have with another, sometimes violently. Violence doesn't always mean it's with a weapon that you think of like a, a gun or a knife. Sometimes it's the words that we use. And so with dialogue, you, you want to practice using words like, tell me more. Speaking to the group, King told participants that their individual views are valuable and important. And if you really feel that way, then you don't have to suppress anyone else's view. And in fact, the community demands it. The community demands that you take this thing seriously. This might not be our only chance, but time is fickle. Speaking Wednesday morning about the prior night's discussion, Mayor Sheehan explained why the collaborative's meetings are starting off the way they are. These individuals are going to have to listen to the public. We're going to be creating working groups. Uh, they're going to be out there in the community and we need to ensure that we're prepared to listen and to not get sort of firmly you know stuck in our positions so that we can have that dialogue and create a document and a plan for this police department that really reflects the desires of this community the first hour and a half meeting of albany's policing reform and reinvention collaborative is archived on mayor sheehan's facebook page there's a link at wamc.org for the legislative gazette i'm lucas willard listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Now we take you to Cohoes, New York, where that capital region city has a new police chief for the first time in 27 years. The Legislative Gazette's Jesse King with more. And I will faithfully discharge the duties. And I will faithfully discharge the duties. Of the Office of Chief of Police of the Office of Chief of Police of the City of Cohoes of the City of Cohoes according to the best of my ability according to the best of my ability congratulations Chief Todd Walden was sworn in alongside a host of new leaders at Cohoes Music Hall Wednesday he replaces acting chief Tom Ross and chief Bill Heslin who retired earlier this year Democratic Mayor Bill Keeler says the coronavirus pandemic prolonged the search for a new department head but in the end it was worth it Todd Walden finished number 1 on a police chief's examination and has served his department for 19 years, three as a sergeant, nine as a lieutenant. Todd's widely respected uh, as a supervisor, both within the department as well as in a larger law enforcement community. He will no doubt deliver the strong, independent, and professional leadership the department needs. Walden will oversee a force of 34 people in the Albany County City, along with new assistant chief Timothy Keith, new lieutenant John Shanahan, and three freshly promoted sergeants. The department also swore in a new officer Wednesday, but Walden says the group's modest size, driven by a string of recent retirements, is currently one of its largest obstacles. The plan is to have a fully staffed, well-trained department that can engage with the community. And if we meet those three goals, I think we can go a long way to solving a lot of the problems that exist. Walden cites community policing as a particular focus for the future. Police community relations and police brutality have dominated conversation in cities across the country since the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis police custody in May, and Cohoes is no exception. In June, Governor Andrew Cuomo ordered local police departments to come up with a plan for reform by April 2021 with their state funding in the balance. 
Walden says his force has already started reviewing its policies while simultaneously working toward an official accreditation from the state. Again, given the department's size, he notes it's crucial for all officers to be trained in community policing. Newer recruits that we have in our uh, police department have had that training through the police academy, but there are some officers here who haven't, and the goal would be to have everyone go through that uh, same training because you really do start to see things and the evidence of how you can do things differently and the positive results that you can achieve by doing that. The department has received its share of bad press lately. After one of its officers fired his weapon in Essex County and allegedly lied about it to responding state police, Officer Sean McGowan, the nephew of former Chief Heslin, reportedly told state police that he exchanged gunfire with a group of black youths after arguing with them at his camp in the Adirondacks. McGowan later changed multiple aspects of his story, saying he fired into a tree stump. Mayor Keeler, a retired state police troop commander, says an investigation found the group in question was far from the scene when McGowan discharged his weapon. He faces no criminal charges, but Keeler says he was pushed to retire, calling his behavior unbecoming of a police officer. You know, it, it's a different department now. There have been a half a dozen retirements in the last eight months. The chief will have the chance to... Uh, Diversify the department in terms of personnel, engage with the community. This is a diverse community, and uh, he will be very hands-on, uh, as I have been, uh, in, in engaging with the community, every aspect of the community. McGowan's brother Scott was among the three officers promoted to sergeant Wednesday. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Jesse King. One New York State Senate race in the Hudson Valley features a challenger who is no stranger to politics, former Westchester County Executive and 2014 gubernatorial candidate Republican Rob Astorino is challenging first-term Democrat Pete Harcum in the 40th District, which includes a large piece of Westchester. The Legislative Gazette's Allison Dunn has more. Astorino, who in 2017 lost his bid for a third term as county executive to Democrat George Latimer, had won his first two terms handily in a two-to-one Democratic county. Some blamed his loss on a blue wave in response to President Trump's election the year prior. Now, Astorino of Mount Pleasant is back with one of the same refrains. Residents are leaving New York, and something needs to be done. I'm running because there's been a complete breakdown in the legislature, in our government, and in society right now. We're seeing it play out in New York City. Uh, that is creeping up into the suburbs, the crime, and that is a direct consequence of Peter Harcum's uh, no-cash bail law that he wrote and sponsored, and there's a direct link between the two. And then you look at the taxes and the business climate and the lockdowns and the, the anti antagonistic um, display of Albany to anyone and everyone who dares even question what they're saying is, is just literally loading up the moving bands as people move out, not just of New York City to other parts of the state, but out of the state permanently. He refers to the elimination of most forms of cash bail for nonviolent offenders as part of criminal justice reforms enacted last year, a measure Harcum co-sponsored. Despite Astorino's criticism, Senator Harcum of South Salem says his focus lies elsewhere. Well, primarily I'm focusing on my job. You know, during the, the coronavirus pandemic, we were concerned with um, our constituents who were unable to get unemployment benefits that they earned and deserve. Um, we've been consistently worried about food insecurity. We've been doing food drives. Um, now we're, we're helping constituents get returned to power. We've got a, a, a budget deficit that we've got to deal with. So, you know, I'm doing my job. Uh, other people are engaging in politics. You know, I'm not going to get into the tit 
for tat with them because um, it's not productive. Um, I was hired to do a job. I'm doing the job. Um, and, you know, there will be time for the politics. But right now, during the midst of a pandemic and, and during a hurricane when, you know, close to 90 percent of my district was out of power, you know, that's where my focus needs to be is on my constituents. Astorino, who as county executive served with a Democratic majority in the legislature, says he has the experience to coalition build in the Senate. And by the way, I do not buy into the assumption that it's going to be a Democratic majority in the Senate. I think this is one of those years where there is a lot happening below the surface, where there is a very big silent majority, including Democrats, who have told me they're very concerned and uneasy about what's happening in their party, this lawlessness, this anti-cop rhetoric, all this stuff. And, you know, they might vote for Biden on a national ticket, but they're going to vote Republican locally. Uh, and, And I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think you're going to see a lot of that. And my seat is very similar to the other Hudson Valley seats and to the Long Island seats, where we lost the majority two years ago. So people, people aren't stupid. They see how out of control things are. And there's only one direction to blame, and that's the Democrats in the Senate and the Assembly. So I do think this is one of those years where you could have a political earthquake. Harkham served as the Democratic majority leader in the Westchester County Legislature when Astorino was county executive. You know, historically, it's been a Republican district. I was the first Democrat in 100 years to win this race and, and was proud to. Um, the numbers are fairly cro- close, although it's trending more Democratic. Um, but the Republicans seem to think this is their last stand in the suburb. And, and you know, the suburbs have changed. It is, it is not 1970s. It's not even 2000. Um, and the suburbs that Donald Trump and Rob Astorino think exist um, are changing. And, and the suburbs today, people value diversity. They cherish diversity. They want diversity. Um, and, and I don't think, you know, the kind of fear-mongering that they're offering um, is, is a winning argument in, in the suburbs anymore. Astorino says name recognition is on his side during a campaign season that COVID-19 pushed onto virtual platforms. The 40th State Senate District includes portions of Westchester, Putnam, and Dutchess Counties. Democrats currently control the State Senate. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Allison Dunn. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2034. Or just listen or podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.